0: So sometimes, uh, this is something you could look up. When you see a book of the Gospels, similar to ours, uh, it might have a different cover on it. Or when you see art uh, depicting the Gospels, they'll have four images of creatures. Um, And those four images of creatures represent uh, different authors, different Gospel writers, based on what they tended to emphasize in their Gospels. So you'll see a man a lion, a bull, and an eagle. So the man represents Matthew who tended to emphasize Jesus' humanity and and shows how through Jesus' humanity taking on a human nature, human body, he's fulfilling all of the prophecies of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, when God would make these promises that he would send his servant to come and rescue us. And so uh, the the picture of a man is symbolic of that for, for Matthew. Uh, the the lion is symbolic for the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark or writes a lot about Jesus' royalty, about his majesty. And of course, we know the lion is the king of the jungle, right? So uh, the, the lion is, is symbolic of what Mark tended to emphasize in his Gospel. And then the bull symbolizes uh, Luke's Gospel. Uh, the bull is, of course, a sacrificial animal. And so Luke tends to emphasize Jesus' sacrifice. That he makes for us that that he is the sacrificial lamb of course uh, but but he is nonetheless the sacrifice for offering to the father and so that's what the bull represents and then the eagle for John the eagle what does the eagle do of course the eagle soars above the rest Right, the eagle soars above the rest, and in soaring above the rest, gets an eagle's view, Right, which is to say that it sees the bigger picture, is able to see beyond this sort of like here and now on the surface, but can see greater things, which actually makes sense. Right, I was thinking about this as, as Rian was reading our, our second reading uh, from the book of Revelation, which that book is written by John, the same author as the Gospel of John. He has these, these majestic, glorious visions of heaven. And so naturally he's he's always got this image in his mind of of like there's so much more to this that we can't see. But I've been given a vision to see it. And so I want to write from that perspective. In fact, if, if you ever read all four of the Gospels, you would, you would know his Gospel is different than the other three. In fact, the, the other three are oftentimes called the synoptic Gospels. They're written like a synopsis, right? So, or, a, or a narrative, right? Jesus did this, and then he did this, and then he taught them, and then he did this. And, you know, right, so it's, it's a sort of step-by-step step through Jesus's ministry, through his life. John's Gospel is different. He includes some of the stories for sure, but he tends to give us more of the the details more more of the 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 sort of like the the bigger picture or maybe sometimes more abstract things that jesus might have said as as a perfect example of this is is the last supper so in the three synoptic gospels matthew mark and luke the last supper Uh, Scene is like two or three paragraphs long in the Gospels. So just just like a a short little Narrative which which of course we we can hear it and it can be amazing, right? Like at the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples And he said take this all of you and eat of it. This is my body Uh, And then the same thing with the chalice. This is the chalice of my blood. Okay, so those are like the narratives the shorter narratives John's Last Supper scene takes five chapters Right? so it's, it's much longer. In fact, I really encourage you actually when you when you go home uh, today to, to get out your Bible And to read John chapters 13 through 17. You don't have to read it all at once uh, You certainly can but if you have a shorter attention span, maybe just read chapter by chapter or something like that but but John's giving this 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 image of, of, of maybe further detail of what took place at the Last Supper right because we know this that when you sit down to have a meal with someone you can easily summarize it in a paragraph or two but if you sit down to have a meal with someone for an hour or 2 hours or 3 hours there's there's much more that takes place there's much more that's spoken in those 2 or 3 hours than what you could write in 2 or 3 paragraphs and so John does us the favor of giving us an inside glance at it at the same time at the same time it's not like the synoptic gospel versions are to be thrown out right so so um it, what, I, what I love about this is I'm going to take a line from Luke's Last Supper, the very beginning, and then sort of apply it to what John is writing. Because, um, I don't remember if I mentioned this, but our passage that we heard today came from the Last Supper. So it's something Jesus said during the Last Supper. So what, what Jesus says at the beginning of Luke 22, which is the beginning of the Last Supper discourse for Luke, Jesus says this. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So just to to sort of think about that for a minute, you know, sometimes sometimes we can read the Gospels uh, with with like a monotone kind of tone in our our minds, right? You know, like, then Jesus did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he said this, you know, I want to eat this meal with you. No, but instead it's like, like, to try to, like, when you're reading the passages, to try to capture the tone of what Jesus is saying, to try to like, imagine his body language, to try to imagine his facial expressions, right, like to, to, different, to imagine different things. And, and sometimes, you know, a person might pray with it, another person might pray with it, and have different things going on in their minds, and you know, that can be okay, and maybe there's something for us to sort of discuss and wrestle with. But nonetheless, like, to really bring it into a prayerful context, to just say like, Jesus, Help me understand this. Like, what, what was going through your mind? How did you say this thing? And this line for me, is, for me is very helpful, right? I have earnestly desired this. Right, what is it? To have an earnest desire. It's like, it's something I've been looking forward to it. And, and like, I just like, I can't, I can't rest until I've been able to communicate this to you. Right, so just to think about this because Jesus at the Last Supper, right, he knows what's about to happen to him. He has, he has this thing, it's called omniscience, right, he knows everything. He knows what's about to happen. He knows that after this meal, he is going to be betrayed. That he's going to be arrested and scourged and mocked and spit upon and crowned with thorns and crucified and die. Right, he knows this. He knows that his friends, right, are about to watch his dead body be laid in a tomb and a stone be rolled over the entrance of the tomb. He knows this, that it's going to be something that's incredibly difficult for them. And so for him, right, he's like, I have earnestly desired to do this with you before I suffer. Why? Because he has something that he wants to communicate. And what is it that he wants to communicate? It's like, well, what does he give them? He gives them his body and his blood. Take this, all of you, and eat of it. This is my body. This is the chalice of my blood. And we believe this, right, as as Catholic Christians, that that when the priest prays the same words that Jesus said at the Last Supper, right, that the bread, it changes, and that the wine, it changes so that we can't even even really refer to it as bread and wine anymore, But, but in fact, we believe that it changes into his body and his blood, his soul and divinity. That somehow, when we come to Mass, it's like we're coming to the Last Supper, where Jesus then gives his body and his blood to us. I think, just to think about this, right? Like, and Jesus says he's earnestly desired to give it to them. Why? Because he knows how hard it's going to be. And so it's like, Everything has been building up to this moment right where he's given them so many things so many like he's given them new teachings He's given them the opportunity to see miracles He's given them the opportunity to actually like to share in his power right that we know there are scenes in the Gospels Where where they go, he sends them out to preach and to teach and to cast out demons and they come back And they're just like filled with joy and they're like master we did all of these things in your name and it worked He's given them all of these gifts, and yet he knows, like, there's still more for me to give, and so i got to give it. And I earnestly desire to give everything that I have. My body and my blood I give to you so that when I depart, you can know that it's going to be okay. You can rest secure, knowing that you still actually have me with you. It's this incredible thing. We got to ask the Lord. So anyway, so so, to like. When I read what the words of Jesus are saying in, in this Last Supper Discourse of John, right? So I'm taking this earnest desire that Jesus expresses in Luke, right? And I'm applying it to what I'm reading in the Gospel of John, which is these five chapters, right? We heard, we heard this one little passage from one chapter out of the five in the Last Supper Discourse. This is why I think you should go home and read it for yourselves. Uh, but nonetheless, like what, I was praying with this, like what's the tone, Jesus? Like what, what are you trying to say? Or how are you saying it? And this, this is kind of what, what I feel like I received this week. It's, it's him saying to us, I love you so much. I love you so much. And I know that you're about to go through incredible trials. And I just, I, I want I want this for you so much. I want so much for you to be with me in heaven. I want you to know my love, and I want you to know how much I care for you. And so I'm giving you everything. But now, he says, now is this, right? To recognize that love Is always a free choice that that I'm not here to force myself upon you. I'm not here to make you love me and so I I have to communicate to you I'm giving you everything but love is a relationship and love is a free choice where where I love you so much by giving you everything but now you have to respond to me and so he says at the beginning of our passage, right, whoever loves me will keep my word. Another part earlier in chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right, and he says, you know, this is, this is a love relationship, right? It's a free choice. And so you have a choice to make. Do you love me? I've, I've given you everything, literally everything that I have to give you. And now I'm simply asking, do you love me in return, he says. And if you do, then you will keep my word. And what happens when we keep his word? Well, what does he say, right? My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Which again, like, if we really let ourselves think about this, right, that that if we love Jesus by keeping his word, by keeping his commandments, what does he say? He says that he and the Father will come to live in us. It's just incredible. I like to think the, the, the God who made the universe, 48 billion light years across, who made all of the stars, 70 sextillion stars, science tells us, 70 with 21 zeros at the end. He made it all, and he says to us, if we keep his word, that he is going to come and live within us. It's just so amazing. It's, it's mind-blowing. Like, if you really let yourself, like, take some time later today and just let yourself have 10-15 minutes to contemplate this, to really, like, think about this. The God who makes everything says that if I'm faithful to him, if I keep his commandments, He's going to come and live in me. What? This is this is amazing. I can't I can't imagine choosing to do anything other than keeping his commandments because where else am I going to find a deal like that? Where else am I going to find like I can't find an, another power like that. I can't find another knowledge like that. I can't find another security like that, like God living in me. Are, are you kidding me? I, just, I gotta do this. I have to. But that, that implies something, right? Like. We gotta, we gotta stick with this promise, right? And that's why he promises the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who's gonna come and remind us of this. The Holy Spirit who's gonna come and teach us about this. But, but then there's this other thing, right? It's like, I want this promise to be fulfilled in me. But then he says, how can it be fulfilled? I have to keep his commandments. I have to keep his word, right? Which begs the question, it just begs the question. Do you know his word? And I know that I talk about this all the time. And, and hopefully some of you are catching it. Hopefully some of you are actually going home and breaking open the word of God for yourselves. But I know that most people don't. And so this is why I keep talking about it. You could, you could call it Bible thumping if you want. What I call it is trying to encourage you as much as possible. Like to receive the promises of God, you've got to know his word so that you can keep it. Right like this is this is the incredible gift that he offers us Literally everything that we could possibly possibly like more than we could possibly imagine And many people you guys many people are not receiving it We have a lot of people who think they know the commands of jesus, but they don't actually Because they're not reading his commands Something i've been i've been doing this last couple of weeks This maybe just be the last thing something i've been doing the last couple of weeks is opening up the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and reading them and just making a list of all of the places in there where Jesus seems like he's giving a pretty direct universal command. Sometimes he gives commands that are just for his apostles. Sometimes he gives commands that are just for particular people. But there are many places in here where he gives commands that we are all meant to follow. And so I've just been making that list. Just pointing out like okay, where are those places where Jesus says unless you do this you will not inherit eternal life? It's like okay. I gotta write that one down Where are the other places where where he gives commands that that maybe aren't They don't seem like they're salvation issues, but nonetheless It's a command of Jesus and I want him to dwell in me. I want the Father to dwell in me I want the Holy Spirit to be powerful in me and so like this is something that I got to have in my mind so that so that what? So that I can like and it's not just a matter of being legalistic, but it's a matter of like, Jesus, do I recognize that that this is actually a gift for me? That it's not just something that I'm that like I'm supposed to dread opening up. It's not something that I'm supposed to like dread, while it's too boring and you know, like I, I get nothing out of it. But that this is actually a gift that He gives to us. That He shows us how we can enter into life, and so like this is actually a gift. And so I, 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 like, I want to receive the gift. Right? And I know that sometimes, sometimes, sorry, I said that was the last thing. This is the last thing, really. Yeah. I know that sometimes, maybe many times, we just don't feel it. Right? I was thinking about just this, this very command he gives here in our passage later on. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. And I think to myself, shoot, I let my heart be troubled a lot. I worry about a lot of things. I I actually fear a number of things. And I, like, does that mean I'm not keeping his command? Right? Sometimes it, like we just don't feel it, right? We don't feel faith. We don't feel trust. We don't feel like keeping his commandments. Some days we wake up and we don't feel like coming to Mass. Some days we wake up and we don't feel like being kind to the person next to us. Sometimes we, we wake up and we just don't feel like living our lives for God. And so like what do I do then? Well, this is the beautiful thing, right? Is that love is a choice not primarily a feeling. When the feelings are there, of course it's helpful. When I wake up and I feel like coming to worship God, of course that's helpful. But even if I wake up and I don't feel like coming, or I don't feel like praying, or I don't feel like being loving to the people around me, that's okay. That there is a moment for me to make what the saints call an act of faith, where in spite of my feelings, I recognize that as a human being I have it within me to think critically and then to choose with my will so that if I don't feel like coming to Mass I can think to myself well this is a command of God and so I will choose to come in spite of my feelings I don't feel like caring for this person well this is a command of God and so I will choose to do so IN SPITE OF MY FEELINGS. MAKING AN ACT OF FAITH WHERE I SAY, JESUS, I DON'T FEEL LIKE IT, BUT I WANT WHAT YOU PROMISED TO GIVE ME, AND SO I AM GOING TO CHOOSE TO DO IT. AND SO I, THIS IS MAYBE JUST an, a, a FURTHER ENCOURAGEMENT FOR YOU, AND THIS IS SOMETHING THAT I HAVE TO DO ON A REGULAR BASIS. I HAVE TO BREAK OPEN THE WORD, RECEIVE THE COMMAND OF JESUS, AND THEN WHETHER I FEEL LIKE FOLLOWING HIS COMMANDS OR NOT, I choose to do so. Why? Because his promises are so incredible, and I just can't imagine setting them aside for anything else. So brothers and sisters, I just, I I think the Lord just simply wants to communicate to us, right? His great love, his great offer to us, and now it's for us to choose it out of love for him, letting him be activated within us, so that his grace can be more and more powerful, so that he can come and find a fitting dwelling place in us.